Hello, and welcome to Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines. With the annual American Society for Virology meeting coming up in less than one week, we are talking with students and postdoctoral researchers who will be attending the meeting. Thanks for talking with us today. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, so hi everyone, my name is Ana Vasquez Pagan and I'm currently about to be a fourth year graduate student at the St. Jude Graduate School of Biomedical Sciences. I am originally from San Juan, Puerto Rico. That's where I grew up. It's a tiny island in the Caribbean. And I, you know, I kind of grew up there until high school. And after that, I pursued a bachelor's degree at Northeastern University in Boston. So I, I uh, did my bachelor's in biology. And after that, I sort of ended up in Memphis. And I'm currently in the Department of Infectious Diseases under the mentorship of Dr. Stacey Schultzberry, and I study influenza virus. Great. And can you tell us sort of how did you first become interested in science and then uh, virology? So my first interest in science kind of uh, takes me a little bit back to my roots because um, it was over a summer um, that my mom who you know, has three kids, wanted everyone out of the house that summer. So I ended up being um, put into a summer camp that ended up being about nanotechnology at the University of Puerto Rico. And I ended up loving it. And I sort of fell in love with the idea of science and research. And I quite didn't really know how, you know, that I could do a PhD. Like that wasn't really something that I was exposed to growing up. So after I went to college and sort of, you know, had wonderful mentors that introduced me a little bit more to what being in the lab could look like, I, I sort of ended up, you know, really wanting to pursue that path. And I was really, really happy that I had that I had sort of that mentorship that that brought me where I am today. And so in virology, um, actually, I didn't have a background in virology before I started grad school. So I, I owe that to my mentor, Dr. Stacey Schultzberry, because when I was interviewing, for the program, um, she actually gave a keynote speaker talk at St. Jude's. So I just sort of found her work fascinating. And while I hadn't been exposed to virology in terms of research, I, I was really familiar with what you know viruses could do in a tropical island like Puerto Rico. So I, you know, during the 2009 influenza pandemic, I really saw how that impacted my island. And so I really felt like it seemed like a really good fit for me and, and something that I hadn't really thought about again. But I, I just sort of, one of those things that I, I really fell, fell in love with, with the research that uh, Dr. Schultz-Sherry kind of introduced me to. Great, and can you tell us a little bit about sort of like, other than the research, what do you look for in a graduate student lab? Like what are some of the attributes that you enjoy about your lab and that, you're, that, that others, I guess, thinking about going into a PhD should be looking for? Yeah, so for me, one of the things that I really felt really called for, number one, was the collegiality I felt in my lab. Um, when I rotated, I really felt like I learned a little bit from everyone. And so I am someone that loves learning different skills and sort of kind of expanding on that skill set because we're trainees and we're training. So I think that having a lab that will expose you to different techniques and having people that are sort of doing really cool different projects, even if it's not your own, you're still going to hear about it um, in lab meetings and journal clubs, etc. But also just the way that at least my mentor kind of um, at that time fit with 
with my needs as a trainee. I love being independent in the lab and um, Stacy was really awesome enough to let me pursue a project that I came up with on my own. And so I really thought that that was something that, you know, really like being able to kind of integrate my passion and curiosity as well as like kind of coming up with my own ideas. And I realized that's not the experience for everyone, but I just thought that it was really um, amazing that I, I, you know, I had the opportunity to prove that, that this question and project had some sort of potential. And I was able to kind of pursue that and create that branch of the lab. Right, great. And can you tell us a little bit about this work and maybe some of the work that you are presenting at ASB? I guess sort of like, what are some of the types of experiments that you are doing? And then sort of what are the main findings from that work? Yeah, so I, so I work our lab primarily focuses on studying high-risk populations in the context of, you know, influenza pathogenesis. So understanding why do we see this increased influenza disease severity in these high-risk or vulnerable populations. And more specifically, our lab has done a lot of work and amazing work um, doing, you know, investigating people with obesity and obesity has a high risk factor for increased influenza disease severity. So when I entered the lab, pregnancy wasn't a, you know, a very extended branch of the lab. So that's, that was the, the part that I kind of wanted to bring into. So I now study pregnancy and influenza. And I specifically, I'm very interested in understanding sort of why do we see this increased disease severity, um, sort of looking at pregnancy a little bit more specifically and not so holistically. And what I mean by that is, you know, understanding that pregnancy has different immunological stages and sort of how can we tease that apart in a mouse model? How can we study this? How can we kind of increase the knowledge of what happens during pregnancy? Why do we see um, these, these outcomes when, when pregnant women get infected with influenza? And the, the flip side of that, of course, is that during pregnancy, you also have to worry about any sort of adverse fetal outcomes. So how does getting infected during pregnancy shape those outcomes for the infant or how does it shape their immune system at sort of those early stages of life? And we obviously worry about that a lot too, because these are also the populations that we really care about vaccinating, right? So that those are our high risk priority groups for vaccination. So a lot of the work we do, we really take that knowledge that we gain from that basic mechanistic um, approach to to make better vaccines or sort of more innovative platforms and inform the current platforms that exist for this for these groups. So um, that's something that I'm currently working on. And so one of the things that I'm going to be talking about, it's not necessarily related to pregnancy, because during this year, everything was a little bit different. So I did have uh, what I lovely call a a COVID project, (laughs) Um, but I actually got a little bit more involved with OVC. And, you know, it's still sort of, it's very, very cool work because I think it kind of gave me the skills to, to do a lot of the pregnancy work now. Vaccination, but we're going to be looking at, you know, the talk that I'm going to be giving is going to be focusing a little bit more on what happens up on weight loss, because we know that people with obesity or, you know, sort of from the animal models and animal studies that we've seen, when you vaccinate um, obese mice, you don't really you know, you still fail to protect that group. Um, so as compared to lean mice, right? So one of the questions we usually get is what happens if the, the mice lose weight? Would that revert sort of that phenotype that we see? And so that's one of the main things that I'm going to be talking about in my talk. So uh, definitely tune in and see what happens. I think it's going to be pretty, 
interesting and everyone can ask all the questions they have, but that's a little teaser for y'all to kind of come to my talk. <laughs> great, great. Um, and I guess just uh, since you started talking a little bit about COVID, um, how do you sort of um, compare or think about sort of influenza infection in pregnant women and COVID infection in pregnant women? So are they sort of, I mean, they're both sort of high risk, but are there differences in sort of the pathogenesis, differences in sort of the immune response and potentially sort of the long-term uh, side effects as it were? Yeah, so I think we're learning a lot. And like, I mean, I think this is true for anything with COVID. We're learning a lot as we go. Um, I think that one of the things that I, I would have liked to see was, you know, that inclusion of thinking about pregnant women from from the very beginning. And I don't think that that perhaps didn't necessarily happen for different reasons. Um, but I think that right now, uh, from the studies that I have seen and kind of try to keep up with, there does seem to be certain differences in pathogenesis. Um, so usually, from the main epidemiological literature, we've seen that pregnancy and influenza is, is bad, right? And so compared to non-pregnant women. So there was recently a study um, off the top of my head, I, I can't quite remember, but I know it was sort of quoted by the American Journal you know, of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And so they have this really long-term study following pregnant women and non-pregnant women. And so I think that it's important to kind of consider those controls because we wanna make sure that we're making those those right comparisons. So I think it'll be interesting to see what conclusions they derive from the studies once they're finished. And I think that now we're kind of reaching that point where we've you know followed people for up to a year. But I think what's going to be really interesting is to kind of better understand what natural infection does during pregnancy. I think that that's going to take a little bit more time to know what or some studies suggested that there could be an increased risk of preterm birth and others that have not seen that association. So I think that at the moment, um, it is a little bit hard to sort of make that comparison directly. But I think as time goes on, we'll be able to tease apart better what mechanisms may make it a little bit of a different infection or type of, you know, phenotype that we may observe. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to sort of see where that goes. And I am a huge advocate of sort of including women's and women's health when we're thinking about sort of these, these outcomes. So yeah. Um, and then can you just to finish off, kind of give us a little bit of your perspective of what it's been like um, in the past year and a half to sort of be going through the pandemic here and then sort of your perspective with um, sort of what life is like back in Puerto Rico. Yeah, um, well, this year has been definitely a very unique year for anyone. Um, I think our lab definitely uh, had you know, a ton of work because we felt really called to to help in outstanding circumstances, as I'm sure a lot of virologists and virologists in training feel the same way. Um, so to me personally, I mean, I think if I would have stayed home looking at the scene, I would have gone a little bit um, more sort of like, you know, a little bit more anxious. Uh, so I, I did um, like that I was able to contribute in such an important time. I think when I was, you know, in in elementary school or middle school and the 2009 pandemic happened, I, I really kind of questioned like, what could I have done, right? So I think to, you know, fast forward a couple of years and here I am helping um, in another global pandemic. So that, that kind of gave me a lot of purpose during times where, you know, we were all sort of kind of comprehending what was going on in our surroundings. So that's, that's what I would say for my experience thus far. So I'm really um, grateful for my colleagues and mentors that, that really um, supported me 
throughout that time and gave me the opportunities I've had to contribute to the pandemic and helping people right throughout that. Um, as for Puerto Rico, I mean, I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, typically, I think it's important to know that, you know, when we see numbers or when we see sort of things online always kind of go beyond that. And there's a lot of communities in Puerto Rico that right now do not have access to the vaccine. So a lot of times we think that, you know, there is vaccine hesitancy and that is true, right? But, um, and there are also historical reasons why Puerto Ricans feel a little bit um, sort of skeptical of it. And so I think not only sort of giving education and sort of talking to people about the vaccine in terms that we can all sort of understand, but also understanding that there's going to be communities that do not have that access and do not have that option. So really, um, I think that's something that people should keep in mind, at least as scientists, when we're talking about these sort of topics, um, thinking a little bit beyond the box and kind of shifting and making your science very communicable, understandable, and especially making an effective communication, right? So that, so that we really reach the communities that have not had um, that a level of exposure or access to, to the vaccine and that we're all, you know, most of us are lucky to have had our two shots by, by now. So, or our one shot. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say that's kind of how it's going. Great. Well, uh, good luck on your talk. Um, and we would look forward to hearing about your research. Um, and, uh, thanks for talking with us today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This has been Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Backright. Thanks for listening.